Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and we're continuing our build for the Fallout role-playing game. For those who still don't have a copy of the rulebook, check out your local game or bookshop, or if you don't have one of those handy, you can get a copy from the Modiphius Entertainment website at M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. No announcements up front this week. We do have a couple of build corrections to make, but I think we'll do those after we recap what we built last week, since they will make more sense then. Our group made their way from the Brotherhood of Steel Base just outside of Alton towards the rubble of the old St. Louis University to check on the lead they got from Elder Sanfar. It turned out, however, that they got there too late, as all of the people who'd been there were dead. They did manage to find the person they were looking for, and she had a holotape with Victor's voice on it. That tape seemed to suggest that Victor knew a lot more about everything that's been going on than he's been letting on. So the group headed a few blocks to the north to see him at the Symphony Hall, where he's still recovering. Victor looked much better than he had during the group's previous encounter with him, and when asked about the holotape... He admitted that he did have Constance Yates digging into Paladin Zane and her cohorts because he didn't believe anything they'd said after their arrival. And if he was pressed, he stated that he didn't tell the group about it because he'd hoped they'd been able to either get the proof he needed or be able to take Zane out before things escalated. He was wrong on both accounts, and while he did apologize, sort of, for using them, he also noted that he had what he believed were good reasons for doing so. He also had information about Jessica Denman and her base of operations, though he reiterated again and again that it wasn't definitive proof. According to a number of his sources, Yates primary among them, Denman has been running her base of operations out of Forest Park. Now that seems unlikely to all of them, since the park's known as a highly irradiated zone that nobody goes into willingly. But the group's going to have to check it out if they want to know for sure, and the group made their way there as we ended the build. Now, one more note from last week's build is that the group might have headed to St. Charles to check out the bunker Victor had begged Yates to head for, and while we did a lot of description and even had the group have an encounter or two, there wasn't anything of real value there unless you put it there for your group to take. So, that's the recap. And like I said at the start, before we get into the build this week, we do have a couple of things to clean up, so let's get those solutioned. The first question I got is, if the group heads to Forest Park from the Symphony Hall and not the bunker, what's the travel time and how many encounters would they have? So let me answer this in two parts. It's about eight and a half miles from the hall to the park, so it's doable in about an hour and a half. Insofar as encounters, we'll cut the number from four to two, one being as soon as they get out of sight of the symphony hall, and the other one when they get a couple of blocks from the park itself. Garson Tactical Personnel with the Brotherhood of Steel Knight stats we've been using, and those are on page 383 for those who didn't write it down. We'll make it a bit bigger, though, and go double the number of group members. This is going to make it a bit more challenging, so let's put a restriction in for ourselves to not use action points in the combat unless the rolls earn them, in which case we use them for damage only. Now, the other two questions are very similar, so I'm going to combine them into one answer. The group got a radio, or a transmitter frequency depending, that allows them to communicate with the Pacificus to stay in the loop about what's going on. 
Now, I got two specific questions from listeners about possible other uses for it. The first was whether or not it could be tuned into whatever battle frequency was being used by Sandvar's Brotherhood of Steel group. And the second was whether or not they could use it to contact Diamond Pass, Mr. Lee, and therefore Victor, or anyone else. The answer to those questions is this. It's totally up to you. The battle frequency is going to be hectic. There's going to be a lot of chatter between Brotherhood members, so trying to keep track of everything that's going on is going to be difficult. So if you allow it, you're going to have to come up with specifics. Now, obviously, we're not damaging the Pacificus or killing either Elder Sanvar or Paladin Cook, so those aren't options. Insofar as contacting Diamond Pass or someone else, again, that can be done, but they'd need to know exactly who they'd be contacting since communication devices aren't just lying around. Now, for the moment, let's leave Diamond Pass alone. We've got something planned for it later on, and we don't want to spoil it right now. Okay, so that's the cleanup from last week's episode. Let's get to building new stuff. We will pick up with the group just outside of Forest Park. Now, if you'll remember, they've been in this general area before, back when they went into the Washington University campus to investigate Victor's storage stash getting swiped. It's been a while, I know. This time, they're staring into the park, trying to decide if this is all really worth it. And when we first brought them here, there was zero chance they were going to go in. The radiation levels are definitely off the charts, so without power armor, or without being a robot or a ghoul, you're dead in a matter of minutes. Now, now they've got power armor, so from that standpoint, all should be good. Now, of course, the key here is to keep the power armor intact, since losing plating means losing the protections it brings, so keep that in mind. I'd also note that it's still in their best interest to have Radaway and Radax on hand, so if they don't have any, you're going to need to cook up some place they can stop close by to shop for it. I mean, we've got a few places we've used over the course of this build that they could use, but the Dome, Diamond Pass, and Laclede's Landing are off-limits, thanks to the Pugnus being directly over them, firing upon them, and if you need to tell the group that to keep them from going there, so be it. Oh, and if the group decides to abandon their mission to go off and try to save Diamond Pass, I'm sorry to say that the build is done for you this week because that's not something we're getting to until later on. Definitely not this week and most likely not next week either. Sorry. Now, before we get too far into this build, we need to give the basic layout of the park since it will come into play as we go along here. The St. Louis Zoo sits on the southern part of the park, parallel with the modern-day Interstate 64, we call it Highway 40 in St. Louis. We're just weird like that. To the northeast of the park is the Jewel Box, which is a smallish building with various flora and fauna collected and grown. It's also a very popular spot for weddings, and I've officiated one there, so I speak from experience. The Muni Theater is also in the area. It's an open-air performance theater that hosts musicals and some plays throughout the summer. On the north side of the park is the Missouri Historical Museum, Pretty much exactly what it sounds like. There's also a golf course that winds through the park, touching many of the sites I've already mentioned. The part that we're going to try to get our group to is the facility to the immediate north of the zoo, and it sits at the top of what we call Art Hill, the St. Louis Art Museum. In our time, it's a three-story building with art pieces covering thousands of years of art and art history. For our purposes, that's going to work perfectly. 
So if the group comes upon the park from the West, like they came in from St. Charles, they'll be way closer to the museum than if they come at it from the Northeast, like if they came from the symphony hall. If they're coming from the West, they'll have a couple of encounters and you can choose from what's coming. Then they should be at the museum. So you can skip to that part of the build. Remember, they don't know the base is here. So as long as they keep heading East, it's going to eventually become obvious. Now, we're building this from the assumption that the group headed here directly from their meeting with Victor. So we're going to bring them in from the Northeast. They will have their choice of entry points, but not knowing where the base is means they're going to need to get in and work their way across. I realize I keep focusing on the entry point, not knowing where the base is. And the reason for that is that the radiation in this area is thick. Now, if you've played Fallout 4, which is what the role-playing game is based on, you've run through an irradiated area way larger than Forest Park. Now, granted, it wasn't as foggy as it is here, and you'd probably think it wouldn't be foggy, but there's a reason for it, and it's not a natural one. Anyway, I just wanted to make sure we're very clear about visibility and knowledge. Visibility will be limited to about 30 feet, and that's even with power armor and headlamps. Now, before we continue, I'd strongly suggest that when you go to run this particular scenario that you Google search St. Louis Forest Park and print off a map of the park. It doesn't need to be an exceptionally detailed one. It just needs to have the locations of the major areas on it so you know where your group is going so that you can track their movements and know which of the encounters we've built are ones that they'll encounter. I'll tell you what, I'll get Gabe to post a map on the website. Might not be up until the end of the weekend or early next week, but we will get one up there. Okay, so now that we've got a map to refer to, this will make things easier. Coming in from the Symphony Hall, the group will be coming in from the Northeast, as I've said more times than I probably should have at this point. On our map, that'll take place around the corner of Lindell and King's Highway, so there's a number of spots for the group to come in through. One thing to keep in mind is that if they come in from due east, the Steinberg rink is an ice rink. So there's that to deal with, unless we just want to say that got blown up and is a big pile of rubble. Now, instead of dragging the group along the route we want them to go, we're going to build out what they'll run into in various areas of the park. So it's entirely possible your group might hit all, some, or none of these. First things first, if you're a fan of random encounters, and I swing back and forth on the subject, we need to assemble a few that we can drop in to keep the group on their toes. I think rad stags are a good random encounter, and since the zoo's in this park, you could always vary up how they look. I mean, rad zebras are a distinct possibility, so just use your imagination. Stats are on page 352. I'd go with at least three more than the total number of the group. Rad scorpions are another good one. Stats on page 351. I'd go no more than two more than the total number of members. I'd also put some Yao Guai in there. And a big part of that is the bear population that the zoo has and has had over the years. No more than a pair of these at a time. And the stats are on page 354. Feral ghouls and glowing ones are also good choices. Stats are on pages 355 and 356 respectively. Use as many feral ghouls as you'd like, but if you're using glowing ones, let's go one more than the total number of group members. Now let's get into the individual buildings, since the group's probably going to be checking many of them to see what's what. And this would be a good time to let you in on why the visibility is so limited here. A radioactive fog is being pumped into the area, though how they're keeping it contained to the park is something we're not going to get into right now. 
So if the group starts questioning why, you can always have them make an intelligence plus science role, difficulty five, to figure out it has to be some natural and a large amount of artificial, though knowing that won't help them get around it. At least, not for right now. Now I'm just going to sweep from right to left on the map, so use the section you need for your group when you need it. We're going to start with the planetarium. Do a Google image search to see what you're dealing with. For the record, in our world, it's connected to the Science Center with a walkway across the highway. That doesn't and didn't exist in the Fallout world, so we're just covering the planetarium. The doors to the building are long gone, so the group might decide this isn't worth going into. But then again, they might think this is a swerve of some kind and go in anyway. I'm not going to do a lot of detail here, but if you've ever been in a planetarium, you get the basic idea. And if you haven't, you can check out details online of how it's laid out. Again, not going to spend a ton of time on details since this isn't the location the group's looking for. What they will find is a whole mess of super mutants. One super mutant master, stats on page 369. Five brutes, stats on page 368. And a number of regular super mutants equal to the number of group members, stats on page 366. Super mutants are immune to radiation, so they're in their element here. And as you'd expect, they've got hanging bags of some sort of meat all over the place. Oh, and keep all those stats handy. They're going to be coming in handy later on. The Boeing aviation fields are next. There are still some hangars on the site, though in our time, they are not used for airplanes. For Fallout, let's just go ahead and say they held private planes prior to the war. That means there would be old demolished planes on the runway and probably in the hangars. That'll give you an opportunity to stash some goodies for your group, like, oh, I don't know, Rataway and Radex? It also gives us an opportunity to drop something in I've been dying to use, but I haven't been able to yet. But let's set it up by making sure the group comes to the realization that there doesn't seem to be anything living here. However you want to do that, it's going to work just fine. That way, we get the jump scare when we hit them with the super mutant behemoth. We only need one, and when you check out the stats, you'll see why. Those are on pages 367 and 368. And if the group tries to run away, it will chase them. Keep track of the direction, because if they head for the highway, they'll have to turn back to the north, since the highway was so destroyed there's no easy way to get up it, which means they'd need to climb, which means they'd need to take the time to climb, which they don't have. Any other direction will work, but the behemoth will keep chasing them until they either run into something else that might engage the behemoth or get into another building. If the group happens to get in over its head, toss in something to help. A death claw. Stats are on page 342, and it will immediately attack the behemoth. Since the stats for a behemoth are greater than those for the death claw, unless the group's done some decent damage to it, it will win. That being said, it'll be down to 20 health points when that fight's over, so the group should be able to handle it from there. And if by chance they did 20 health points worth of damage before, then the Behemoth and the Deathclaw basically die after dealing the killing blows to each other. Okay, it's cheesy, but sometimes we've got to pull something out to save our group's collective butts. If by chance your group has a fairly easy time with the Behemoth, Toss the death claw in almost immediately after the close of the fight. And yes, I can be a jerk like that sometimes. Besides, we've been letting them off really light for the past month or so. 
The Highlands Golf and Tennis Center is next on our spot coverage. It's not a whole lot here to really dig into, but we should put something here for the group to encounter. Let's use a half a dozen Meyerlicks. Stats on page 345. We can justify this by having the area be a bit marshy, which really isn't too far off base. I've seen that area get flooded in the past, so water standing there would not be an unusual thing. I mentioned the Muni up top, so let's get to it. I'm going to actually build this out a little bit, and that's mostly because I've had this picture in my mind for a bit, and I actually want to put it into words, so I apologize for getting a bit wordy. As they approach the theater, they notice a majority of the seats are still filled. Granted, they're filled with the skeletons of those who were watching the show when the bombs dropped, but those skeletons haven't been moved over the past 200 years. Tattered bits of clothing are still on them, and they remain as a sign of what the times had been like. Making their way to the stage, the performers suffered the same fate as their audience, and there are skeletons in their places on the stage where they'd been during the final scene of their lives. They're also clad in tatters of their costumes, but there's no evidence of what that show was, so the group will be left to their own devices to figure that out. Unless you want to have them having done a particular show. Then go nuts. Backstage, they can find a footlocker with a couple of stim packs and two doses each of Radaway and Radex. They will also run into the encounter for this section, and that's glowing ones. We'll do this like we did the random encounters, and that's one more than the total number of group members. And for those who didn't write it down, the stats are on page 356. I probably should have covered the jewel box before the Muni, but I didn't, so let's do it here. We're talking about a building full of plants and trees. I mean, sure, it's been 200 years or so since the bombs dropped, so sure, they're all pretty much dead. But there was piping and sprayers for water for those plants and trees, so of course those busted and turned the floor into a swampy mess. Which, of course, makes it perfect for Meyerlurks. And I'm a bit twisted, so let's go with two Meyerlurk hunters. Stats on page 345. Why am I twisted? <laughs> Check out the stats, you'll see why. We're skipping the Visitor and Education Center because I'm going to argue it doesn't exist in the Fallout world. So that brings us up to the Missouri History Museum. Feral ghouls. Lots of feral ghouls. Three times the total number of group members and group them up however you'd like. The zoo. Okay, this is going to take a bit because once they get in, they're going to be in there for a bit. There's a number of fences and gates that keep the animals in in our world, but let's be real. They've either been rotted, blown up, or knocked over by this point in the fallout world. So once they enter, you need to keep track of which direction they're going because it dictates what they run into. North, they run into four Yao Guai. South is a pack of mutant hounds, and we'll do three times the number of group members. West is a pack of ragstags, and that's also three times the number of group members. Stats are on pages 354, 349, and 352, respectively. The big encounter here is two biggies, and they'll be halfway through the battle with one when the other arrives. A Deathclaw, stats on page 342, and the Meyerlurk Queen, stats on page 346. This one's going to be rough, so if the group needs to run, they can, and the two creatures will attack each other and not the group. The only structure left is the art museum, and I really want to set this up properly. So even though we're running shorter than I'd like, we're going to stop the build here for this week. 
Next week is all about the art museum and we'll see how far we get. In the meantime, check out Role Playing History. This week, we're checking out the games Castle Falkenstein and Talislanta. They're games we believe are pretty interesting to play, and we hope you'll feel the same way. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modiphius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are utilized on this program for entertainment purposes only. To check out all the game products produced by Modiphius Entertainment, check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We are all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode or our website, badgmproductions.net, to see where you can follow us. Next week, we get the group into the art museum and into a whole lot of trouble, I can assure you. But that's next week. Until then, I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.